Get ready for conflicts where movie reviews collide. everybody and welcome back to another episode of conflicts the podcast it is me laura your moderator they will refer to me as lulu it's okay i'm here with who are you hi my my, my name is nick <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good to be here today like this, 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 this is my stapler uh, but that that stapler is mine and um, i brought it and um i Thank you for having me. His name is Nick Milton. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. If you want to do the rest of the podcast like that, feel free, but don't actually. And hey, how are you, Dad Joke? I am declared king of the dad jokes. He's pointing to his shirt that says so because his wife knows him that well. <laughs> king of the dad jokes is here. Reigning champion. Thank you very much. <laughs> no. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Today, we started on a high note because this movie's a downer. We are covering 2019's Joker. Forever alone in a crowd, Arthur Fleck wears two masks. The one he paints for his day job as a clown and the other, the guys he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him. Isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. This movie stars Joaquin Phoenix, and really just Joaquin Phoenix and his talent, and is directed by... <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix and his talent. <laughs> <laughs> Todd Phillips. Randomly enough, Todd Phillips, prior to this movie, was primarily known for his comedy. He is the guy that directed all three of the Hangover movies, mm -hmm. Road Trip, and Old School. I just knew The Hangover. I didn't know anything else he did. Yeah. There were some other random like slapsticky movies. I was really surprised when I peeked at his IMDb. Nice. I thought I'm he glad did he's made the switch. Very good. <laughs> very different worlds. And he transitioned beautifully. Yeah. Couple fun facts about the movie. Uh, the actor who played Thomas Wayne, Brett Cullen, played a senator in Dark Knight Rises who was kidnapped by Selena Kyle. Hmm. So he is an old hat at the Batman franchise. Uh, we also all noticed Joaquin Phoenix was very svelte for this role. He indeed dropped 51 pounds. I, I don't think svelte is the right word. Dude, he was, dude was almost uh, gauntly thin. Spend all your time waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you too, for the price of a cup of coffee, can help Joaquin Phoenix get weight back. 52 pounds is nothing to sneeze at. Um, also, randomly, the... Uh, the scene in the public bathroom after the incident on the subway where he is dancing, that man improved that dance on the spot, hmm. just felt it in the moment and started dancing. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, two less than fun facts, but still facts. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Heath Ledger were good friends. RIP to Heath Ledger. They were. And the creepiest of facts that I thoroughly enjoyed, comedy club that he performs oh, at yeah. is called Pogo. I caught this one in the uh, movie. Pogo the Clown was the name of the persona of John Wayne Gacy. They actually, uh, the Joker makeup is based on that 
what he would use for Pogo the Clown. It's very similar and terrifying. I looked at pictures, and mm -hmm. I'm a true crime aficionado, and I enjoyed crossing the two worlds for a moment. Uh, this moment right here is going to serve as your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen this yet, push pause, go watch it, and then come back. All right. Let's dive into our reviews. Nick, let's start with you. Let's give this movie a grade, buddy. Um, okay. I gave this movie an A-. minus. All right. Strong start, strong start. Uh, I thought it was a beautiful art film mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a great story of the clown prince of crime from Batman. I mean, come on. that He is an iconic character. And I was so scared whenever they're like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to play the Joker. Oh, like you were movie. afraid it was going to suck? Yeah, like I seriously was like, oh God, here comes Jared well, Leto, piece of crap. Yeah, Joaquin's a weird dude. You never know how that's going to go. Yeah. You remember that weird rap mm -hmm. phase where he retired from right. acting and was going to be a rapper? We, we all know he's got the talent. You just never know where he's at. And then, I mean, and I had no idea who this director was besides The Hangover. The Hangover. And, and I don't even care much for those movies. So I was like, yeah. oh man, this is going to suck. And when I sat down in that theater... The score to that movie is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I even listen to it on my phone sometimes just because I thought it was that good. Uh, the acting, A+. Plus. Uh, uh, the guy, the, the guy, the woman who played his mom, I love that Oh, lady. I can't think of her name. Uh, she's at Six Feet Under. Yes. And, I mean, she's so in American talented. Horror Story. She's, she's been around a long time. She is fantastic. And I loved the little plot Is it Frances Conroy? Is that her name? It might be. I love the little plot twist in that. Mm -hmm. I love the little nods that they did to Batman for Bruce Wayne being a young child. Mm -hmm. Just everything about that movie was great. Very hard to watch. It wasn't that it was so violent that it's hard to watch, but whenever the violence is on the screen, it is extreme. Uh, extreme to say the least. And so I can't say that it's like, oh, this is a violent movie from like minute one to the last. Well, and I the mean, kind of violence is a very specific, it's not gratuitous violence. Mm -hmm. You understand why it's there. Well, that's what makes and it that more. And that makes it more real. Yeah, it and makes scary. it more unnerving because yeah. you're like, oh crap, that can happen. I yeah. know why and he's doing this. They did a great this. job showing you a mental breakdown of somebody. Cause that, that by the time, you know that when you're watching a movie like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and like you're sitting there watching them do acid trips and you're like, I'm sober. Why do I feel messed up? That's mm -hmm. kind of the way you feel towards the end of this. You're like, yeah, uh, I think I'm, I think my brain's fine. It was when I walked in here, like what's going on? Like it was, it was just a weird trip. I will watch it again. Cause it was just great. But I you're going to need a minute before I'm not going to watch it in theater like at all. Uh, but man, if he doesn't win an award, there's already Oscar buzz. Um, I also, I Googled, and Frances Conroy is the name of the lady that plays his mom, and I think she's got some Oscar buzz going for supporting I mean, as well. She's great. she's great. I mean, like I said, in the shows that I've seen her in, like, she's always mm -hmm. nailed her role. Yeah, she's got chops. Yeah. Um, what know. about you, Rich? How, do you, how are you going to grade this movie? Okay, I actually, I'm going I'm to actually call a quick little timeout because Laura missed something. Oh, what did I miss? So you were talking about Todd Phillips and how he is uh, related to the Hangover franchise. And mm -hmm. you thought it was a little odd that he is now in this movie. But you missed a very obvious connection. This movie was produced by Bradley Cooper. I oh. didn't even look I at who produced it. And mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yes, that is the connection. Hmm. 
I but you know see, what? Like, makes perfect sense. Bradley Cooper sort of started off in rom-coms. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And look at his twist that he's, I mean, that whole like crew because he was in The Hangover. Well, and it makes sense because uh, people tend to roll in a crew. Like when Adam Sandler makes a movie, same crew every time. Mm-hmm. So they're part of each other's crew well, from back in The Hangover. And, and Cooper's position himself to where now if he wants to make a movie. Bradley Cooper made. can do whatever he wants. Pretty much. He can do whatever he wants to me too. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Oh, and also... No, it's not. I meant it. <laughs> uh, no, it's awkward for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's cool for you. You haven't been granted consent, just Bradley Cooper. I will say, in the last podcast, when we if this airs in order, uh, and during the Spider-Man podcast, you, I said, I'm ready for DC to hit a home run. I feel like this movie is the home run. But is this not... a DCU film? Absolutely. Yes, it is. And I so... mean, it technically is, but is it part of... The universe, well, the canon. They're calling it the DCU Black, which are meant to be these kind of one-off uh, experimental films. Yeah. Which I think this is. So now, is it part of the canon? I actually don't care. It's like Logan. I don't care whether or not you want to uh, filter it into a certain specific timeline because it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which for me, that's why I'm going to go ahead and give this movie an A-. minus. Now, okay. we all know I am the Debbie Downer of the DCU. You universe. are. I think they are... Falling way behind, they've had some really brilliant moments, but they've been really epic fails. (laughs) But they've been they've been fleeting, and yeah, they've really most time they have uh, epic crashes. Looking at you, Aquaman. However, this is the kind of movie that they should be making. Mm -hmm. This was dark. This is gritty, and that's DC. Mm -hmm. If people want to know what's DC versus Marvel, DC has always been the grittier universe. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there isn't grit in Marvel, but Marvel's always the epic fantasy, whereas DC is the gritty character drama. That's the difference. That's why I don't pick between the two. I like them both. I want DC to have a wonderful movie franchise. They just haven't really done it since Christian Bale. This, however, is amazing to the point where I both want and don't want them to do anything else with this Mm -hmm. because this is the style they should be doing, but I like the one-off nature of this. So Mm -hmm. don't don't give me a joke or two, but take what you learned from this movie and apply it to something else because... For the love of God, please. mm -hmm. Yeah, this is that style that that they should be doing. It delves into character, which DCU has amazing characters, and it explores the depths of an evil mind. That's what this is. You know, Nick talked about a mental break down it's more than just mental breakdown it really is because this person doesn't just have an illness there's also pathological problems here this isn't just as simple as he's a little unhinged there's a pathology that is evil and i I can't really find a better word than that and there's also external factors coming Mm -hmm. in and dumping on him left right and center well and that's the question you know uh some people look at this and say well this is just the angry white man uh, and it's unjustified. Some people say, well, this is a statement about mental illness. Some people look at, and they really read a lot into this. The problem is, this is all of that and none of that mm-hmm. at the same time. We don't know. Is this because the the chaos that was happening in that culture, in that environment? Is it because, you know, the, the cutbacks that took his meds away? Is this because he has a mental illness? Is this because he was just a pathologically evil person? We don't know. 
we don't really get to know which of those factors led in there, or maybe it was all of them together, which what makes this dark and gritty, because the truth is some of these people, like we referenced John Wayne Gacy, we don't know what made John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. We don't know how he became the serial killer. We can study him all we want, but the truth is we can't find a recipe that creates that, just like we can't find the recipe that created the Joker. We see the ingredients, but we don't know what interacted, Mm -hmm. what caused it, and then ultimately at the end of the movie, we don't know if any of it was even real. Yeah. So A minus for me. I give it the minus because there were a few little things in there that bothered me. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, this was a huge leap forward in the DC universe. So Well, and for you, A minus is high praise, buddy. For yeah, You're for stingy with those A's, buddy. Especially for DC. You know, for for them to have reached this far for me. Uh, you guys did some work. So Mm -hmm. congratulations. I was really on the fence about this. I spent a lot of time thinking about this movie and ultimately I have two grades for it. I have an A plus and a C. Standing alone, it is an A plus because outside of any superhero universe, this is a painfully beautiful film. It is. It's a movie, this movie not only like viscerally shows the descent into madness in detail, but it makes you feel for the one descending into the madness as you see it happening. And you find yourself at times sympathizing with Arthur, which is a benchmark of excellent storytelling. On the flip side of that, as part of a superhero franchise, this is absolutely a movie that we did not need a story about that it's a story that didn't need retold and despite the beauty and excellence of it it's still i am still ultimately torn as to how to rate this one because if i am keeping it in the superhero franchise it's at a c for me because it is so out of step it is so out of character and it is so unnecessary that that drops it down to a c but standing alone it is still a plus see i reverse that this isn't out of step. The others are. That is a better way to put it. You are correct. That is a better way to put it. But it's still so jarring and shocking and such an unnecessary. That much pain in the beauty isn't necessary unless it's necessary. As part of a franchise, I don't find it necessary. As a standalone film, I find it interesting. But you even said, like, as gr- gruesome as this movie was in a lot of parts, wasn't it kind of nice for a change of pace? Because we've been so bombarded with marvel <laughs> left and right and i'm not superhero I, in general left and i'm right. not like trying to downgrade it because i mean i mean in 2000 whenever avengers the first one came out i was totally on board but 23 we movies, all were 23 movies later i'm like this is sort of like a breath of fresh air for lack of better terms of a great story because it reminded me so much there is a dark comic book just called joker and it was the whole story was about Joker getting out of Arkham Asylum, going back into... Are you talking about the killing joke? No. It's oh, just there... called Joker. Okay. Because you, you definitely see uh, pieces of killing joke in this Well, see, this I, representation. I'll have to let you read that graphic novel called Joker, but he's like having a breakdown trying to get back into society. He's obviously on a lot of mm-hmm. medication. A lot of medication. Going back into society. He's going back with the old crew which would be the Riddler, Penguin, mm-hmm. and all of them are running like underground strip clubs and casinos and stuff. And it was just him getting back into society 
and at the end of it goes back into his old habits. Every time I try to get out, they suck me back in. Yeah, I mean, but that was such an awesome graphic novel, and like at first, I was like, "What am I reading? I mean, this isn't this isn't Batman." But then I was like, "You know what? This is actually one of my favorite books." At the, after I finished, yeah, because real human, a real human story like that so, is always more interesting. I mean, this wasn't like based on that graphic novel, but I, I mean, I felt. Like, mm-hmm. I, uh, like how I felt whenever I first read it. It's probably that peppered novel. throughout there. I would imagine that a movie this good, yeah, and they've it was seasoned just it with a, a lot of different. It was yeah, such a influences. nice change of pace. I mean, especially since like the last Joker we saw was Jared Leto. <sighs> we were all let down by that. Let's not. <laughs> he, and which sucks because it was all Leto down. Hey, he's such a good actor. That sucks. Speaking of the worst segue into the best of times and the worst of times i'm going to start with you rich there's a lot of high points i mean calling them high points feels really a lot but there's a lot of high points in this movie what's the highest the high point for me was was actually pretty easy when i think of it. the scene and it's kind of the iconic scene shown in the trailer where he's dressed as the joker towards the end of the movie he's mm-hmm. got the final outfit on and he's coming down those staircases at the end Here's what Dancing I, down the stairs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Here's what I loved about that. In that moment, what I saw was somebody who married Jack Nicholson's Joker with Heath Ledger's Joker at the same so. time. He paid homage to both of them while creating something new. He took those pieces and made it something else, but in, in a respectful way. And that was, there was so much tied up in that scene. That was just, it was beautiful. It was spooky terrifying uh, and it was just simply a guy coming down a staircase so the amount of emotion that was portrayed in the amount of story that somehow unfolded in a speechless scene was fantastic how about you nick honestly i think what he just said was pretty much what i would have said because you can't go i can't go into any more detail about that that iconic dance was phenomenal the first time he the first brutal scene in the movie right. on the subway. Mm-hmm. Like that was very intense. And then once he gets into the bathroom, that's almost my favorite scene. And I didn't uh-huh. know that he improv that dance. I thought it was choreographed because it just like the the fluidness with yeah, his Yeah, the motion that, music, that he was making. That was so was, organic. It was insane. Like I got goosebumps watching that scene. There was a lot of parts in that movie that gave me goosebumps. And I owe a lot. I, I'd say the score then because I think the score to that movie really helped tie it in yeah tie it in and like send shivers down that's beautiful down my spine it was just great mine is absolutely a one-two punch because the best part of this movie was how real and gritty and terrifying and ugly and beautiful it all was but that's also the worst part in how real it was it was terrifying to see because you know that at the end of the day while we don't have a real world joker we do have people like John Wayne Gacy who have done terrifying things like this. And it's all the same to me. The realism was the best and the worst. How about for you guys? What was the worst for you, Nick? I guess, and I hate to say it because it's like I'm not promoting it, but the violence in it was... Oh, yeah, it was hard to watch, It was hard to watch. And I don't want to say that because I don't want... 
like everybody would be like, oh, well, that's but just... But that's always a line in storytelling that you tell. Like, yes, it's more real if you show it, but when you show it, do you need to show it? Or is there a way that you don't have to show it? You know, you're always towing the line. And that and that's the hard part because it was done right. Yeah. It wasn't like uh, like hostile where it was like yeah. torture But like when crap. he like did yep. that guy's throat in the apartment, like yeah. that was a lot. They're all pretty quick. And the body count in this movie is not that high. It's only like four, five yeah. maybe. Um, I think he only kills... Well, five if you include his mother. Yeah. Well, and there were the... Because there were the Oops. three on the Sorry. subway. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> we already covered that. There were the three on the subway. Uh, there was the dude in his apartment and there was his mom. Yeah, five. And one then... Oh, they, six. The host. The oh, host and Robert host. De Niro. So really, it was only six. So it's not mm. like I've seen worse. <laughs> I mean... And, like the subway scene, that was quick. Yeah. I mean, he was like, blam, 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 run away. And oh, yeah. crap. And honestly, you don't realize that those guys completely died until they're talking about it on the news. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's not, that's not a particularly violent scene, but the way it was portrayed made you kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it, gave, it made me uncomfortable enough to where I'm like, wow, you guys did that right then. Because <laughs> yeah. usually, like, you watch something, like I said, like Hostel or something, you're like, oh, whatever, this is Stephen Saw. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was intense. It was like Saving Private Ryan when you're watching mm. that. Oh, and you're yeah. Like, it was just unnerving because yeah. it was almost too realistic. Yeah. 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 What about you, Rich? So the low point for me is there were a few moments. Now, there were only a few. But there were moments that I saw Joaquin Phoenix and not the Joker. Mm. Every once in a while, it was almost like he didn't quite slip deep enough into the role. And it was usually his voice. It was the way he spoke. And every once in a while, what I heard was Joaquin Phoenix and not the Joker. It was a pretty darn near flawless performance, but there were a few times where it seemed to have a little too much of his own mannerism. And it it lost a little something for me on that, but not a lot. All right. Well, you were talking, Nick, about just the tone of the time and those guys on the subway. And what was really interesting to me was how you could almost argue that 1981 is another character in this movie because it's such a product of the times and how everyone reacts to what they believe to be vigilante justice on the subway train leads to a whole Joker movement. And that's that's a mindset that we can't really understand today. So normally, right now, this would be the female factor, which is the portion of the show where I go on a feminist rant, ha, ha, ha. But this movie has such a limited cast and focuses so heavily on the main character that it's really a moot point here. So instead, what we're going to do is present to you the 80s factor. (laughs) And as I said, this movie takes place in 1981. So resident dad joke himself is the only one of us who was alive then. (laughs) So take it away, Rich, (laughs) and give us a little insight as to at, you know, seven, eight years old, what you remember about 1981 I really feel like I need a cool sound drop for these. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I really thought about this because Lulu actually asked me this question earlier. So I had a little time to think about this. And I came up with two major points. And it's amazing how quickly forget. Because I know that uh, Nick and Lulu, you guys are both old enough to remember some of this. But I don't The 80s in general, yes. But I don't know how much of an impact this had on you. The 80s were before the information age. Mm -hmm. And it is such a, a ubiquitous term for us now that people forget what it was like before. Uh, the 1981 was, was before computers. Yes, I know computers technically existed. The you had to look it up computers. in the right. encyclopedias. But information <laughs> yeah. was not at your fingertips. You went to the library, you, you know, you looked things up that way. And that's if you had a recent encyclopedia. Information was usually uh, very much out of date. You got your information from 
newspapers, from the evening news. Uh, you know, that's how information was disseminated. You got a lot of information word of mouth, a lot of wives' tales and myths and legends. They were spread word of mouth because that's how information was still moved around. So if a couple of guys get murdered on the subway and it becomes evening news and makes the headline of the newspaper, people are talking about it because that's where it is. And that's the only thing to talk about. If that story gets buried below the fold or on page eight. You know, you see movies That's make That's a newspaper to that. term, kids. Mm -hmm. That means it's below the fold in the middle of the page. Yes. You're welcome. Because and then newspaper terminology, the further it is away from that headline, the less likely people are to read it. If it's back of the newspaper, few people are going to read it. So news stories could literally be buried. So when you hear things, people say the news story was buried, that's what they mean. It was put later in the news. And that's what happened back then. So there's very much this lack of information that we are now so useful. You know, you may hear us in this podcast, sometimes take a quick pause to Google something and make yeah. sure we have that fact. Correct. At our fingertips. You couldn't do that back then. There was nowhere, you know, even in an encyclopedia, you couldn't look up movie facts. You couldn't look up producer credits. You, th this information wasn't available. They did are, make movie encyclopedias. I used to have one. They, they, things like that did exist, but they weren't particularly common. You know, the police officers in this movie, when they were investigating and it seemed to be taking them days, it took days. You know why? Because they had to wander around and talk to people. They had to figure out people and figure out where they are the old fashioned way and ask around. Now their information came from the, the good old fashioned legwork and it took days. Nobody could type the report into a computer. You had to pass it off to somebody who typed it in with a typewriter mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. There was a lack of information. This is also why you have like early on in the movie, the scene where the kids steal the sign and beat him up in the alleyway and nobody did anything about it. You know why? Because now that would go viral, somebody would have recorded it and it would become a... a People would have known, so they would have known to care. Yeah. Back then, nobody gave a shit. No, because not one person. What are they going to do about it? You can't find those kids. You're in a big city. There's a million kids. What are you going to do? Ask around. They don't have Facebook. Yeah. Did you did you go beat them up? Uh, no. They're all going to say no. So there was no way to find these kids, whereas today nowadays there are. So that lack of information is very important to this movie. Now it, it's subtly important, but if you're really wondering a few things about this movie, what things that maybe didn't completely make sense to you, you got to remember 1981 before the information age. So. People could just go riot in the streets. I remember when there were a few riots. Riots. The college I went to had beer riots. Mm -hmm. They tried to make it try to make it go dry, and <laughs> students rioted. <laughs> and they fought back. Hell no, we won't go. Yes, them. good for them. <laughs> so, and then I do want to make another point, and this is directly related to uh, Robert De Niro, and I know that's not the character's name, Murray but, Franklin. But he's Robert De Niro. So here's something else that uh, we are spoiled with today. Who, you know, today I could ask you, who is your favorite late night host? And you got about 27 to choose from. And they've switched every few years. Back, There's even some online only. Back then, that wasn't the case. There was one and there had been only one. And he was the one. He was the king of late night, Johnny Carson. This, And he wasn't there for a year or two. You know, John Stewart had a good run. Mm -hmm. Still nothing what Johnny Carson had. He was the guy. Everybody watched Johnny Carson. How long was Carson on? He ran from, I think, the 60s to the early 90s. Really? Yeah, he was on a very long time. Uh, it was just like MASH. Uh, you know, MASH was on forever. This is what you watched. We also had three channels back then, people. That's what we had to choose from. So everybody watched Carson. And, and you know, when I was that age, being able to stay up and watch Carson's monologue was a treat. 
So if you got to do that, then you did something. It was a big deal. I can remember a Mm -hmm. few select times. Uh, The Johnny Carson show ran from 1962 to 1992. It ran for almost 30 years. And I do remember those few select times as as a child being permitted to stay up and watch the monologue of Carson. And it was like Christmas every time. So everybody watched Johnny Carson. And I say that and it sounds like hyperbole. It was But it really isn't. Pretty much everybody watched Carson. This was a show the entire world tuned into because they didn't have a lot of options and it was the only late night show of that format. It's how we got that celebrity culture back in the day. It's how we learned that information. So many comedians that you know and love today got their start on mm-hmm. Carson. Didn't Ellen get her start she on did. Carson? She did. She was the first and only woman that he ever called over. So if you were on Carson and you did your set and he liked you, he would call you over to sit next to him and he would chat with you for a while. And Ellen was the first woman to ever be called over. One of the very few women that was ever featured on there. But she got called over and got to chit-chat with Carson because her set was hilarious. So to look at that show, it wasn't just a TV show. You know, now we look at it and say that's a TV show. Uh, You know, we have... um, There's Jimmy Fallon. There's Jimmy Kimmel. There's... Uh, Lily Singh has a new one coming on. There's a so, so we have all British those guy. Yeah. I, could, I could ask everybody which one of them is your favorite, and you're all going to give me a different answer, and that's Coco. okay. <laughs> you know, and that, that's perfectly fine. The point I'm trying to make, however, is nobody had choices back then. You didn't get to choose. Did you like watching Ellen? Did you like watching? This was before Oprah. This yeah. was before we even had those kind of daytime talk shows. They didn't exist. This was everybody's link to entertainment news. This it was, was a beginning. culture in its own. It was. Well, this was their link to culture. This is how everybody, the lens that everybody got to see Hollywood through, got to see um, you know comedians through. This is where everybody got their start and so much came out of Carson. So when so you, this was like the 1981 equivalent of Joaquin Phoenix going viral when he gets asked to do mm-hmm. the Murray Franklin show. Exactly. And things like that did happen on Carson. Carson was probably a little bit nicer of a guy as far as how he got guests on the show anyway. And you know, you're, you're going to get differing opinions on whether or not the guy could be an asshole. Probably. Um, but as far as, I don't know that he ever completely made fun of anybody quite as much as he did. Of course, we don't know how much that actually happened in the movie versus how much was all in his head. Right. But at the same time, Carson did have complete control. You know, the, the networks did not tell Carson what to do. Carson did whatever the hell he wanted because he was freaking Johnny Carson. Yeah. That is how that went. You know, the, the, the people, um, you know, the, the movie Late Night, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you look at it, that was so controversial and so interesting, partially because Johnny Carson, for the first time, did not get his way. Oh, that would have been a huge deal. It was huge at the time. It was very huge for them to go against his wishes. Well, and that was very near the end for him. It was. And that was the power play by the uh, network at the time. So that's what you know that's why that was a big deal now the reason i bring all of this up is because then for johnny carson to get murdered on live tv by some whack job is unthinkable and literally virtually everybody in the country would have seen it yes it would have happened right there and nobody would have known what to think this is like a war of the worlds type situation really is it It, real is it not real is it a stunt yeah mm -hmm. It, it would have just been shocking and they wouldn't have been able to react quickly you know now something like that happened uh, you know, they, they they were able to react quickly and the information gets out there within minutes. And there would have been a turnaround. Back then, there would have been hours at the very least of nobody knowing what the heck was going on. Most people wouldn't have figured it out until the next morning. They would have went to bed going, what the heck was that? And figured out the next morning that it actually happened. 
So that's why that's such a big deal. This this was amazing. You would you could have shot the president and it been less important. Uh, I, I mean, Ronald Reagan did get shot in the he 80s. He did. And while well, although it was a big news story, uh, it would not have been as big a deal because everybody liked Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. You know, Reagan, while although he was fairly popular as far as presidents go, still had... Nobody always likes a president. Yeah, there, you know, still had quite a few people who did not like Reagan, so... Well, I mean, even... Like you're saying, obviously, when were you born, Rich? 74. Oh, okay. So, like, whenever that happened to JFK, didn't everybody know about it at the drop of a hat? Like what you're saying? Not yeah. at the drop of a hat. No, it took a while for that information to disseminate. It really did. Huh. It was in the newspapers the next morning. Well, and, and there was that there's that shot of uh of what's his face on the news saying the line mm-hmm. that uh our president that you know, he died and it's it's a very famous and I'm forgetting his name at the moment. I could see it in my head with the clocks behind him, but that's when most people found out. Was that Edward Morrow? Yeah. Yeah. So I and honestly for that time frame that did happen fast. That was such an epic news story that it happened relatively fast for that. See, I don't know. Like, I'm just asking because, like, you're saying this, like, oh, it's the next morning. And I'm, like, thinking, really? <laughs> like, no, Yeah, I'm it would have like, taken that long. That's why my first point about the, inform- you know, my first point about this being the information age, things were just slower back then. Well, because I remember, like, the 90s. Like, I remember the 90s really mm-hmm. well because that's pretty much whenever I was. Can but, remember. But can <laughs> remember. So it's like. Like, and I remember things taking, like, that have been, like, three hours later. Like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Like, Well, you also have to remember when Carson came on. So on the, uh, yeah. on the East the Coast. Because you'd have DSL and you'd be like. <laughs> right. <laughs> but on the East Coast, the, the news comes on at 11 o'clock. So Carson didn't come on until 1130. So this yeah, you, you had the 10 show wouldn't have come on until 1130. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking because it's, like, everything that premieres now. Comes on three times. Like you get your well, and even then, Eastern something had to happen early enough to be able to make the evening news. You know, because you, you had the six o'clock news and the ten o'clock news. Mm-hmm. And if something happened at four or five o'clock, they it wouldn't break make the in. Six, it would make the ten o'clock news. Yeah, you know? they didn't do breaking stories. Well, they did, but breaking stories were saved for like the president gets shot. They probably would have broken in for Johnny Carson getting shot on his show, but well, who's awake? This was also back when TV shows went off the air. After. For the record, we're still talking about Joker. We're just trying to <laughs> we're just trying to say like what happened in the movie, how this would have worked out in that time. Frame. Johnny Carson's still dead. Sorry, y'all. Is he? Yeah, yeah. he died several years ago. Yeah, oh, I thought he was still. No, alive. He, he's he's unfortunately gone. But this was back when uh, TV channels went off the air. Shortly after that. I do remember tell a TV like turning off like they'd do the yeah flag, it'd just be snow mm-hmm. and then it'd just go yep they would they went off the air in the middle of the night well, what time was that I don't I barely remember midnight that. yeah it's usually after midnight from, was it mm-hmm. so they they were just done so there was no news at that point so everything was much much slower and you had these so many fewer options anyway those are the two major points that I wanted to make as far as what the eighties contributed to this storyline because like Laura said. They, it was almost its own character in a yeah. way, because without those two things, this would have been a very different story. If you without had, the economy of the time, the budget cuts, mm-hmm. him losing his social worker, the feel of Gotham City being the equivalent of New York City and the social unrest, all of those things are huge factors. Because we did have a recession around that yeah, time. Yeah, it was a gnarly I, one. I, you know, I remember that and... You know, there was a recession in the 80s. Yeah, there's always been recessions. Huh. I don't mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a uh, the well, Great that, Depression was a huge recession. Right. I knew that. But I kind of thought like the one that we just went through was like the 
last one since no, the that, Great Depression. Well, that's where the, you know Reagan was the one that introduced what they refer to as the uh, trickle-down economics or the Reaganomics, and that was meant to help us get out of the recession at the time. There was a, a pretty low period. Uh, now, hap- economy has sped up a lot, much like the rest of society as compared to back then, so the ups and downs took much longer to play out, but now sometimes they play out over weeks or months. Back then, they played out over years. So there are some differences, uh, but that's my point. Everything was much slower. So mm-hmm. that really played a factor in how this this played out. You know, like the him going back and looking up the records of his mother's incarceration, or what you call an incarceration when she was... Yes, yeah. Uh, and her stint in the loony bin. Yeah, like that was a back in the time where that's how all records were kept. You pulled out a file. You can Google it now. Yeah. And things <laughs> disappeared because mm-hmm. it was a paper file and some guy could grab it and run. Yep. It was a slower time. It was... Uh, it was a sadder time in this movie, I'll tell you that much. It was uh, fairly depressing. Not all of the 80s were depressing, y'all. That's when I entered the world. You're welcome. I brought it out of a recession. You're welcome for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is looking at me yes, with this look on bird. his face. Like, your bird. really? You were born in 89. You're barely allowed to claim the 80s. No, I was born in 87. <laughs> You're barely allowed to claim the 80s. You were born in 87. I don't claim the 80s. I I, I remember the hand-me-downs from the 80s. I mean, like, ex- I remember, like, 1989, because I was, like, in preschool and, like, pre-K. Because you that. were two. And, uh, but from, like, 92 on, like, I can remember everything from it. Mm. There's so many great things about the 80s, and we've discussed none of them. But that'll be an 80s factor for another day. There's really no positive note to end this on, y'all. It's a great film, but uh, it's not an upper. Anybody got any ideas for an outro? Uh, I, oh, I've got, I've got one. And my son actually came up with this one because it is Halloween time oh, God. right now. <laughs> he said with the uh, two big movies in the theater being It and Joker, does that mean for Halloween it's going to be clowns to the left of me and jokers to the right? Because <laughs> here I am stuck in the middle with you two jackals. <laughs> Thanks, Gavin. We appreciate it. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Oh, Dad Joke Jr. coming through for the win. Yeah.